Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured sound bites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you, our listeners, with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, I have another great episode for you guys, and this time it's with the wonderful Rena Deutsch. You may know her on Instagram as a Jewish educator and her Minute to Win It Parsha clips on IGTV. Rena is a wife, mother, teacher, speaker, writer, makeup artist, and so much more. Is there anything she can't do? You can find many of her articles on parenting and marriage in Nashim magazine. Rena sits down and talks to me about love, marriage, and what to do when a loved one is faced with a difficult diagnosis. We also talk about certain illnesses that have a stigma attached to it. If you or a loved one is going through an illness, you will definitely resonate with her message and gain so much from her uplifting words. But first, a word from our sponsor. Do you suffer from mood swings, anxiety, sleeping issues, low energy, brain fog, or winter blues? I, for one, could definitely use some help in some of these areas. There are also various chronic illnesses that cause a level of pain that may be way too much to bear. But thankfully, there's a solution. Introducing Kosher Gold, top-of-the-line hemp. You owe it to yourself to check out the highest quality CBD from Kosher Gold that's recommended by many doctors. Ask your physician if this product is suitable for you. Visit koshergold.com or call Isaac for a free consultation at 856-431-2038. That's 856-431-2038. And now, I would love to introduce the fabulous Rina Deutsch. Hey, Rina. Welcome to Soul Sessions. Hey, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for being on the show. So everybody who's new here, who doesn't know Rina, you guys got to check her out. I, you know, stumbled upon your page because I saw that you were doing Torah videos and I'm obviously very attracted to anyone who does anything Torah, but you don't just talk about Torah. You also talk about marriage and parenting and everyday life and you're just very real. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Okay. So, um, I was born and raised in Toronto, um, into a pretty normal non-Orthodox kind of family. Um, I grew up going to Jewish school my entire life, but that doesn't mean that I never went through, you know, that super questioning and slightly rebellious phase. Um, 
And then um, I went to seminary in Israel and I came home and I married my high school sweetheart, Avi, um, who, I mean, he's three years older than me, so it wasn't really in high school when I was, but whatever, it's the same thing. And, yeah. um, and uh, that was 20 years ago and it's been quite the ride since. Um, so now I am, I'm a wife and a mother. Thank God I've got five kids ranging in age from eight to 18. Oh my um, gosh. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, thank God. Thank God to keep me on my toes. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, and um, I um, I have an honors BA in English literature, which I haven't really done so much with um, in my life. But uh, after that, I went back to school when I had four kids and trained to be a makeup artist and esthetician. And thank God I have a, a good freelance makeup artistry business that keeps me very busy on the weekends. Thank God. Um, and Yes. I actually didn't know that about you. I, I actually noticed that you were a makeup artist maybe like two months ago. I was like, where have I been my entire life? <laughs> I didn't know you were a makeup artist. And then I was like, wait, how come I didn't notice? Because every time I saw you in a video, your makeup was stunning. I'm like, does she get her makeup done? <laughs> and then I put two and two together. Wow. Right, there you go. It's a fun little fact about me. Um, yeah, so I was doing that for a number of years and through, uh, through my makeup, I ended up meeting somebody who ended up introducing me to somebody else who got me to go on my first um, JWRP or now called Momentum trip. And that was about five years ago. And through that, I ended up getting involved in informal Jewish adult education. And um, through that, I ended up actually entering the classroom and formal Jewish education. I teach in a Mizrahi all-girls high school now, um, oh, but I also cool. still do. Yeah, thank God. It's really amazing. I'm there almost full-time at this point. And um, I also do, I'm still doing adult education. I do public Jewish motivational speaking in different places. And thank God that's been going really well also. So it's fun. I get to wear a lot of hats. That's yes. I see. So how do you like balance at all? Is there a balance? <laughs> huh, that is a great question. <laughs> is there um, a balance? I love it when people say to me, they're like, Oh my gosh, Rena, how do you do it all? And my typical answer is, well, how do you know I do any of it? Well, <laughs> um, think uh, balance is, is a major challenge for me in my life in general. And I wouldn't say that I have found it, I feel like it's the kind of thing that we all struggle with um, throughout our entire lives because, you know, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And every time you say no to something, then it makes you available to say yes to something else. And so uh, I definitely struggle with finding the balance in my life, but I think I'm getting better. It's about trying to figure out um, what boxes things check off. And right prioritizing what those boxes are. And as long as they're checking off like one of the top five, then I can do it. And if it's not in my top five, then either I'm going to have to sacrifice one of my top five in order to take something else or- wow. I love that. Yeah. Thank God. I love that because, you know, sometimes women can feel so overwhelmed by their never ending to-do list. Oh my gosh. I feel that. Yeah. And I feel like that's a little bit counterproductive to just write down every single thing you have to do every single day. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I only checked off like one or two things. I'm so unaccomplished. But here you are telling us that, no, just top five things that I have to do. And if I do it, I do it. Great. Wonderful. And if I don't, you can do it the next day. 
Um, right, 100%. And sometimes you have to, you, like, there are times where I make a conscious decision to say that, you know, like, whatever was sort of number eight on my list, or maybe it wasn't even on my list, and an opportunity presented itself, and I might have to sacrifice something in my top five in order to do that. Right. As long as it's a conscious decision, and it's not just that I just say yes to everything, and I've made myself into a complete and total shamatha, then I'm okay right. with it. That's wonderful. So one of the things that you also do, I don't think you mentioned it, is that you're a wonderful writer. Like you really have a skill of writing. I actually read most of your articles in Nashim magazine. And I see that you tend to write mostly about marriage, parenting, everyday life. Um, can you tell us just like maybe one parenting method that applies? to like every child. I know you have children from eight to 18, but like, is there like a secret or like a parenting message for a child, no matter what age they are? That is a really interesting question. Um, I think that the only thing that you can sort of use as a blanket over all your kids is love. Because every kid in a different stage needs something different. Um, Adrian Gold always says that the idea is when your kids are sort of little and up to like their tween years, you're the director of their life. And then you need to like in their early teen years sort of learn to take a bit of a step back to become the supervisor. And at a certain stage in the game, you need to transition your role to that of a consultant. Right. Oh, and, and each, right. And each one of these phases in their life requires a different type of parenting skill, but no matter where you are in any of that, they need the love. Like if you're going to be their director and you're making all the moving parts and you're arranging every single thing in their life and you're sort of the one in control because they can't be, um, they need to know that it's all coming from love. When you sort of take a bit of a step back and you become the supervisor, so you're not you know, out of the picture. You're not only there when they come to ask, but you're definitely not as micromanaging as you were when they were little right. they still need to know that it's all there with love whatever limits you do set you know you need to be very conscious of them the idea of picking your battles definitely comes into play at this stage in the game but they need to know that everything is done with love and then I think that that will lay the foundation for when you're a consultant which is really like you don't necessarily offer your opinion but if it's asked for you can give it to them i think they're much more likely to use you as a consultant when they have gone through the director and supervisor phase and it's been filled with love and they know that that's where you're coming from and a consultant who can also be consulting from a place of i love you i want what's best for you and this is what my thoughts are and i trust you and i believe in you that you can make the right decision and here's my opinion, um, I think will be much better taken than, wow. you know, when somebody thinks that you're coming in and trying to control them or don't trust them. So I think love is the real blanket statement for parenting. So it's interesting you say love because, you know, I see most parents, Baruch Hashem, I think they love their children. Um, I could say that across the board. But there's sometimes parents that might mistake in love for control. So, you know, you'll hear parents tell their kids, I'm saying this because I love you. I care about you. That's why I'm telling you, like, you shouldn't eat that. That's why I'm telling you, you shouldn't go to Israel because I love you. So, you know, how does one release or relinquish control when it's like second nature to them 
to becoming this consultant that you're talking about. You know, it's, it's very hard to relinquish control and be that consultant in parenting. A hundred percent it is. I agree with you totally. I think that it requires a ton of self-work. Um, and, and just so we're really clear, I'm, you know what I said before about how do you know that I do any of this well? I can know all of this in theory. It doesn't mean I live up to it all the time. And I'm sure if you ask my 18-year-old, he would tell you that I'm not always, I'm not always sure. a consultant sitting in the background, not offering my opinion until it's asked for. Um, but it takes a lot of self-work on understanding what your motivations are. So meaning I know that there have been times in my parenting life where I have told my kids to change their clothes or brush their hair or don't talk like that or don't whatever. Not because it was like intrinsically inherently better for them as much as, well, I just, I don't want somebody to hear you talking like that. I don't want somebody to see that your hair isn't brushed. And my motivation wasn't for them. It was for me. And it took a lot of self-work for me to be able to get to the point where um, I'm more conscious of it in the moment, meaning like when a thought pops into my head and I'm about to say something, I can stop myself and say, why are you seeing that? Are you seeing that for you? Are you seeing that for them? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And now if I'm seeing it for them, am I seeing it for them in a way that they can hear? And there have been lots and lots of times where I have said things to my kids in ways that they could not hear. Um, but I'm, again, like all of us right. as parents, we're constantly a work in progress. So I'm working on trying to find the language where I can, I can try to help guide them, but in a way that they can hear and that they'll be able to, to accept. And I think that, again, you know, parenting, marriage, these are two of the greatest laboratories for self-growth. And the, mm-hmm. you know, like this is, this is really where we have the opportunity to develop ourselves so much. It's not easy. It's really hard. Sometimes it can be very painful, actually. But I think that, you know, in, in baby steps and in small increments, and if we can find a way to work on ourselves to be able to understand what our motivations are and how we're putting it across, it, it'll help us transition into all the stages of our parenting. Wow, that was so beautiful. It's, would you say that there's a certain age or phase of a child's life that's harder for you, that's more challenging for you? Since you've, you know, you have a bunch of all ages? Um, it's, I, I have to kind of think about that. I think I've always said that every age has its joys and its challenges, right? When the kids are very little, it's super physical, but you know, your day ends at 6.30 when they go to bed. As they get older, things change when, you know, my 18 year old goes to sleep. I mean, he doesn't even get home until after I'm in bed. Um, so, you know, it's totally different. I think that it's really important to try to focus as much as we can on the joys of the stages and find a way to just sort of navigate through the challenges. I can't say that one is better than the other. Cause I distinctly remember when I had like my first four children are all within six years and I had a lot of little kids in the house and I distinctly remember moments where I was, you know, feeling like I was so frazzled and that I couldn't handle it and I can't take it and, and being, you know, slightly unhappy because I was exhausted and felt like I was being pulled in a billion different directions. And then there are times where I remember just being so blissfully happy because, you know, I was surrounded with my sweet little children and they were adorable and we had so much fun and it was great. And 
I feel like I have the same thing now with my teenagers that there are certain times where I'm like, I cannot deal with the drama <laughs> and I like, it's too crazy. And how am I dealing with these kinds of problems? This is nuts. And like, is this normal? And then there are times where I'm like, I am able to have such good conversations with them and feel so connected and like we really get each other and that I see so much growth in them. And so I think it's just really important to focus on the, the joys of whatever stage you're in. And then you'll be able to ultimately and overall, right? Because we're always going to have moments in every stage of everything in life that we are not enjoying it. But if we can try to focus on the positive parts of it, I think we'll be able to enjoy it more overall. Wow, that's really beautiful. So focusing on the joy and the positive aspect of the relationship instead of just thinking of the what you don't have in it and the negatives and the what ifs. And I think a lot of it has to do with gratitude. Yeah. That have an overall sense of gratitude. hundred percent. Lay the foundation and the framework for your your relationship with your children and with your husband. So um, let's talk about now the other laboratory that you were talking about for self-growth. So you and your husband, Avi, you've been happily married, Baruch Hashem, for 20 years, right? Thank God. Thank God. Can you tell us what's the secret ingredient to a healthy marriage? So secret ingredient, I don't know if there's only one. Yeah. Um, you know, if, you think of it, if you think about any good recipe, there are, it's layers, all sorts of different layers of different flavors that go in there. Yeah. But I would have to say that I think that one thing that is very, very important and sometimes falls by the wayside is having like really meaningful and positive communication with each other, mm. um, which isn't to say that you can't ever communicate negative feelings. It's just, you know, to do it for a positive purpose. And I think that very often we get so caught up in being parents, which is really important. And all the sorts of responsibilities that we have, we have to take care of the house and we have to do carpool and we have bills and this, that, and the other and work and all this kind of stuff. And we forget that at the heart of it are two people who came together, who got to know each other, who fell in love with one another based on who we are and our values and the things that we think and all these sorts of things. And we need to find a way to make sure that we're still sharing all those sorts of things. And I think that that helps keep the relationship fresh and where it should be and really connected. How, how does one, you know, get to that place with their spouse, with their significant other, when they're surrounded by stress and they're overwhelmed with the children and they say they don't have time how how does one get to that place with their spouse it's really challenging it's very complicated and especially i think when the kids are very little it's it's even more so because you're just so run ragged most of the time but i know for myself and my husband we we're not big people with date night because right. that, like it's like to get dressed and to go exactly. out of the house and to spend the money. Like we don't, we, we don't do that. I know that every magazine and every, everybody says, Oh, you have to have date night, but it doesn't really work for us. You so, can have date night at home. <laughs> right. So that's what we do. We just make sure that we carve out time for ourselves, whether that means, you know, um, like, like I said, I have teenagers, my house is awake until two yeah. o'clock in the morning. Oh my so God. if I just, you know, there are some nights where we'll say at nine o'clock, like guys, we love you. 
see you later. And we'll go upstairs and we'll hang out and we'll talk and we'll schmooze and we'll try to make sure that we have that opportunity to reconnect. Um, right. It's, like you kind of have to carve the time out. If in, in life in general, if we're waiting to have time for anything, mm -hmm. it's literally never going to happen. Like I don't have time to go to the gym. I can make time, mm -hmm. right? If I think it's important enough. I don't necessarily always have time to... Wait, Rita, are you like talking directly to me? <laughs> I'm, I think I'm, I'm talking directly to myself here. Trust me. I need to remind myself of this all the time. I'm that kind of person. Like I told you, balance is very hard for me. And I run around all the time being like, oh my God, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I have to slow myself down and stop and say, okay, what is important? You're right. You don't have time. Make time. So... Um, I will be very honest with you. There are times where my dishes don't necessarily get done on the same night that they were used. Oh, I'm looking at my dishes right now, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. So instead, I'm just saying, you know, like it's important for me to have a house that's not, you know, crawling with germs and gross and disgusting. But like if my dishes wait overnight so that I can make the time to hang out with my husband, then it's worth it. Right. Right. And, and so I think it's really about understanding what the real priorities are in life, which isn't always easy. And it's yeah. very cloudy and trying to literally to carve out the time for it. Wow. So, um, let's talk more about your husband. Um, you told me that your husband, Avi, he was, um, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 10 years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. Uh, when you told me this, I, I had absolutely no idea. I never knew this about you. I mean, I don't think it's something that you just like shout out from the rooftops, but the way you carry yourself and you present yourself and the way you talk about marriage, you can't ever, ever tell that you have this challenge. So can you just tell the audience a little bit about, you know, the journey, how you guys found out and how you took the news initially? And first of all, for those, who, for those of us who don't know what multiple sclerosis is or MS, if you can explain that a little bit. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Um, so I'll, first, I'll tell you a little bit about how we found out, and then I'll explain more what it is, because in the beginning, we had no idea either, really. Um, one day in like late April of 2010... Avi woke up um, and he was like numb and tingly from the waist down. You know how like when your leg falls asleep? So he had that literally from the waist down. Now, my sweet, wonderful man, um, his doctor had retired and he never got a new one. So he didn't have a doctor to go to. And so, and he's also like, just this like, oh, whatever, it's not a big deal. I'll just walk it off. So he tried to walk it off for like a week and it didn't go anywhere. And finally he went to the walk-in clinic because he didn't have a doctor. Right. And um, he went to the walk-in clinic and the doctor was like, oh, interesting, sure, we'll send you for you know, a spinal x-ray. Maybe you have a herniated disc, which is a normal thing that could cause those symptoms. So he went and he did the x-ray and nothing was there. So they gave it another week. And I think probably about three to maybe four weeks into this whole you know, numb and tingly waist down kind of thing, um, he got a referral to a neurologist. And the neurologist said, okay, um, I'd like to book you for an MRI to rule out. And he gave like a list of like 15 different things. And MS was one of the ones on it. So of course, what did we do when we got home from the doctor? We Googled absolutely every single thing oh that he had God. suggested, which like just if anybody is ever dealing with anything, just don't Google it. 
Yep. Really don't. Um, <laughs> so, so we Googled it and MS multiple sclerosis is when there are uh, basically a person's own immune system will attack the myelin sheath that covers the brain and the spinal cord. And the myelin sheath is what the allows for the messages to travel up and down between the brain and the spine. So sort of it's the, I guess I'm trying to think of the right analogy for it, but it's, it's what allows the messages to get from your brain to every other part of your body. So it's kind of a big deal if there is a traffic jam or, um, you know, construction on that route, right? Which is essentially what happens when there's a lesion. Um, so we, got appropriately freaked out by, by most of it. I mean, not, like there was a lot of stuff on the list that wasn't particularly exciting. Um, right. But MS, I think, was really the biggest yeah. chronic one. And, um, okay, so we live in Canada, obviously, and we have a socialized medical system. We called to book an appointment for an MRI. This was like in early May, and they didn't have anything for us until like the end of August, beginning of September. So we said, forget that. And we drove to Buffalo. Um, thank God we have a two-tiered system here. It's called crossing the border into the States. And, um, and we, um, we had a, an MRI there, like in the last week of May. And we got the results back at the beginning of June that it showed that he had um, a lesion. He had a few lesions in his brain and one in particular um, on his C4 spine, I believe it was C4, um, that was causing the issues because the messages coming from his brain weren't able to get down to his legs properly. And that's why he was feeling that, you know, that static there. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was kind of crazy. I, I'm not going to lie when we found out. Um, I was in school at the time finishing up my, um, my clinic for my aesthetics and makeup. And he called me in the morning and he said, Rini got a, I'm coming to pick you up. And I said, why? He said, I got the results back and they're not good. And oh, God. Wow. yeah, he came and he picked me up from school and uh, I, I ditched for the rest of the day. Of course, they were very understanding about it. And we were driving around and we were talking, we were trying to figure out. And of course, because we had Googled it, like we obviously, idea in his head was MS equals like give me two years I'm going to be in a wheelchair and I'm not going to be able to dance at our children's weddings and it's you know it was it didn't it definitely didn't look good um when we were driving around we stopped in a parking lot we were going to go grab something to eat and we ran into his mother which we were oh. really not prepared for and she said well, she said Abby why aren't you at work and why isn't Rena at school and he literally just you know it's not an easy thing to tell your parents that no. you have a, a chronic illness. So he literally just handed her the, the MRI report and she looked oh, it over. Man. She looked it over and um, she said, okay, we'll just call Daniel. And Avi was like, Daniel who? So my mother-in-law has a cousin who is a doctor and we always thought that he was a family doctor, but it turns out that he's actually the head of the MS clinic down at St. Mike's, which is one of the most prominent MS hospitals in all of Canada. That so is insane. Right? So that was like a major, Wow. I think for us, that was like a major hashkacha process <laughs> feeling of like God prepared the refuah before the sickness. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, normally what would have taken months for us to be able to get into see a specialist and all that kind of thing, we were able within a week to have all of Avi's baseline tests done and all that kind of stuff. And Daniel was really a big help because Avi called him right away. And he said to him, the first thing he said was, don't think about the Jerry Lewis telethon because nobody makes money when they bring out the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who you would never know have MS. They only make money. They can only raise money for research when they bring out Nebuch, the guys who, you know, was diagnosed at 19 and now at 22 is in a wheelchair and can't walk. Mm -hmm. Right. So wait, um, Jerry Lewis, he had it. I think so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So so that was the piece of advice that Daniel gave us was like, don't look, of course, there are worst case scenarios. There are always in every situation, there's worst case scenarios. He said, but don't, that's what everybody highlights because nobody's giving research for all the people who are fine, right? We, you're only, right. you're really giving money for research for the people who never are really suffering with it. And there are people that do. Um, thank God Avi's case is, um, is stable. We're very blessed and it's not the, it's not the most progressive kind. So we're, we're really very blessed with that. Um, how did you take the news initially and how, like, how were you able to, in a way, you know, process your feelings while he was also going through these very difficult feelings? Were you able to, you know, share that with him? Were you embarrassed to share your, like, grief or your sadness with him? How did that go? So I think you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there about the idea of how did we share it? Because um, when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, you really do go through the five stages of grief because there is a loss. Because one way or another, there is this loss of, okay, well, I was a perfectly healthy person and now I'm not. And I don't know what my future looks like. And there's, you know, you go through the same five stages, but we weren't always in the same stage together. Um, mm-hmm. to, to make matters even more fun, um, a week before we went for his MRI to Buffalo, I had actually had a miscarriage. And oh. so I was still sort of processing that. And then this happened. And oh, we were just like, ah. And, I, you know, obviously for him, which makes perfectly good sense, he was obviously more focused on what was going on with him. And I was focused on that, but I was also still like trying to wrap my head around the miscarriage and all this sort of stuff. And we, it was really, really, really challenging, um, actually, because we were really not always in the same stage. We were not always thinking about the same things. And I also know for myself, Avi has always been um, sort of my rock. And he is always, you know, more level headed than I am and all that sort of thing. And to watch him go through, um, you know, one of the stages is definitely depression. And it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but to watch what he was going through and to have like, to, to my mind, lost the guy that I knew was so, so difficult. But um, I think it was probably about a year after his diagnosis, or maybe, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, actually. I think it was around two years after his diagnosis. We actually got into a huge fight, like a really, really, really big fight. Thank um, you I for remember- sharing that, by the way. Okay, I mean it happens, right? Like it was yeah, right course. before Shavuos. It was right before Shavuos. I can't even remember exactly what precipitated it, but like things had been simmering for a while. This was Something after happened. the diagnosis. Yeah, this is like two years later, and like I said, like there was just so much going on. I don't know whether or not we processed anything properly. And then it was right before Shavuos. I can't remember exactly what happened, but like we 
had like this massive blow up and he had to take the garbage out or something. And he walked out of the house, he slammed the door behind him. And we literally didn't talk for two days. Like that Shavuos was so awkward sitting at the table. We like, we couldn't look at each other. We couldn't talk to each other. It was so hard. And um, the day after I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to get a babysitter and we're going to go out and we have to talk about this. And we went for a walk. We walked around the neighborhood, I think for like three and a half, four hours. And, um, and we just got everything out, every single thing, you know, all his frustrations that he had been feeling about, you know, um, that I, I don't get him, which makes sense. Right. And it's an interesting thing as a, as a support person that as much as you love the person that you are trying to take care of and support and be there for, you don't walk in their shoes. You don't have the same thing. So it, you can almost get into that space, but you also can't. Like he says, right. you know, he goes to sleep every night wondering like when I wake up in the morning, is there going to be another issue? Am I going to have a problem? And it's not like I never think about it, but I don't go to sleep every night saying, will I wake up with all my functions tomorrow morning or will I not? Right? So as right. much as I love him and I'm there for him, I'm not in that space. And he, you know, in the beginning, he found that really, really frustrating. And I found it really frustrating that he wasn't able to get out of that space. Like, you know what I'm saying? And we, yeah, talked, yeah. And we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked and we were finally able to come into a place where we understood what each other was dealing with and were able to allow each other that space and come into and, and create a third space that was one that we shared. And it was a, it was a hard road to get there. It really was. But I think we did. Thank God. Baruch Hashem. Wow. I'm just so taken aback by this story. It's, it's really beautiful because, you know, it's, imperfection and these issues that every couple goes through they're not going to be healed they're not going to be mended and going on a better route unless you go and handle it head on and sure. thank you for your transparency <clears throat> sorry my voice <laughs> <laughs> okay for your transparency your authenticity and to make everybody else who's listening to hear that, yes, challenges in marriage are normal. Tensions are normal. And when one spouse is going through something that's a little bit traumatic or a chronic illness, that we have to work through it together. And sometimes there has to be like a big fight that has to happen in order for you guys to come together and create that third space. So yeah. thank you for sharing that with us. That was, I'm really, really touched by that. Um, no problem. You know, I think part of the reason why you and Avi are able to handle this much better from the way I'm seeing it is that you're very open. You're very open about his chronic illness, and I believe he is too. It's not like he's hiding it. Nope. Um, so I think one of the reasons why people suffer with a chronic illness, I mean, obviously, despite the chronic pain, the physical pain that they're going through, the anxiety of like, what if, what if this, what if that, am I going to wake up functioning tomorrow? Like, obviously, all of those are major, major challenges. But I think something to add, like the cherry on top 
of the challenge is when people live in secrecy. 100%. You know, there are countless, countless amount of people who have a chronic illness or who have a mental illness or anything that they're going through and they're suffering 10 times more, 10 times more because they don't talk about it. They can't talk about it. Their, they fam, their family keeps it hush hush. They can't even talk about it with their own family. You know, forget yeah. about like, forget about just talking about it in general. They can't, they can't even talk about it to their loved ones. So that adds to their suffering. Um, or even if someone doesn't have a chronic illness, most of us know someone who is suffering with a chronic illness or a disease or a mental disorder. Um, what is some advice you can give to them? So I think letting people into it, everybody's got you know their line of what they do or don't feel comfortable with. But I know that one of the things that we definitely wanted to do, um, and really from the outset, and, and certainly even more over the last number of years, was if we're dealing with it, so maybe we can gain chizuk from some people, and maybe we can give chizuk to some people. And we have had a number of couples who have called us over the last few years, um, couples from the community, where one or the other of them was diagnosed with MS, and they found themselves, you know, exactly where we had been 10 years ago and, and had no idea what to do. Now, at that time, we had no one to speak to because we didn't know of anyone who was in the same position. And we wanted to make sure that if somebody else found themselves, you know, being newly diagnosed, that they could come to somebody and speak to somebody, somebody who could relate to them, somebody who could not just sympathize, but also empathize from a place of like knowing exactly what's going on. Literally so, you know, in your shoes, right? Yeah, literally in your shoes. And we've had, I'm telling you, we really had a few, more than a few people come to us where, you know, um, Avi's been able to speak to in a lot of the cases because MS is actually more prevalent in women. It's been that the women are the ones who are diagnosed and he's able to, you know, we'll sit down the four of us and he's really able to, to sort of, you know, allay some of their fears and show them like, look, I'm still, I'm living a good life and everything's okay. And, you know, this is the experience that I had with this medication or with this doctor, or, you know, here's a way that you could make sure that you get into an MRI faster or whatever. And um, I've been able to help the support person to understand because it can be very, it can be very divisive when the person is like, you don't understand what I'm going through. And you, and on the other hand, you're like, okay, but I'm doing my best while you being so, you know, right. and to be able to give support to both of the people so that they could walk out. Like we're not giving them a cure and we're not giving them any, you know, like medical answers and, Oh, here's what you have to do. But at least to feel like they're not alone yeah. and to feel like it is something that is manageable and manageable, right? it is manageable. And I think that again, here, it's really important to try to stay positive as, as much as is possible. That doesn't mean that you're never going to have bad days or bad weeks. And if you do, that's fine. You have to accept that and, and just allow for it. But as much as possible to be able to be positive, to look at what I do have, what I am capable of, what is working instead of all the stuff that isn't. Mm -hmm. um, because when we're in that negative space, then what ends up happening is that 
we get robbed of our here and now because of either our, you know, because we're so focused on like, well, what if, what if, or like, oh, everything was so much better before. Okay. But what about right now? Because mm-hmm. if right now you're good or, or right now this is working or right now this is okay. So don't not enjoy the right now because of what if, right? Then you get robbed of, you get robbed of whatever is good right? because of all the stuff that might not be good, but who knows? Right. Um, so right. trying to stay positive and in the moment. And I know that Avi and I deal with everything with humor. Um, maybe we're oh, strange great. like that, but um, we always make jokes about, you know, if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, Avi is going to be the one to survive because nobody wants to eat his brain. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> and then I always tell him, okay, well, then you have to keep the rest of us safe. And, uh, and when we go down to the hospital for MRIs or, you know, he's, thank God, now on a, a new medication where it's a, an infusion once every six months, but it's like takes four or five hours. So we make a date out of it, you know, we'll bring a lunch or we'll go down early, whatever it is. And we turn it into us time so that it's not just this bad medical thing that's happening. And yeah, that's beautiful. And, I love that. Yeah. So I, I think that just trying to, to put as much positivity into it as possible, because it, it has plenty of negativity on its own. It doesn't need more, right? Mm-hmm. So it's our job to infuse it with the positivity and try to see whatever good there is to be seen. But I think also that the way to look at it in a positive way and to be in the right now, like you said, is that one must be able to process their feelings and feel those feelings in an, in a good space, in an appropriate space to connect and to get support from other people in order for for them to be positive about it. Because if someone is just holding it in and pushing down their feelings about it because they can't talk about it with anyone, then they can be positive all they want, but they're going to be suffering. It's like, that's like toxic positivity. You know what I'm saying? For sure. So there's a couple that we, after Avi was diagnosed and so we were open about it, there was another couple that got in touch with us and they're like, oh my gosh, we've been suffering this with this for 10 years, but we haven't told anyone and nobody knows. And, um, and I remember just feeling so bad for them of like having to walk around with it and pretend like everything was fine. Right. Even if, even if the world isn't actually falling apart, just the feeling of like, this is really heavy to walk around with that on your own is difficult. And the other thing is, is that I think we're, we're very afraid sometimes for good cause that everybody is going to be judging us. I know there was one person that when we told in the beginning, they said, why are you telling people? And they said, Mm -hmm what do you mean? They're like, nobody's going to want to marry your kids. And I was like, yeah, I think that's why there's shame around it. I was like, thank you so much. That was very helpful. I really (laughs) appreciate that I came to you and told you about the fact that we're dealing with a very stressful chronic situation. And you're like, oh my gosh, what are you, what about your shaduchim? And I'm like, how about like, I'm really sorry to hear that. Or like, is there anything I can do to help you? Or like, don't worry, you got this. Anyways. um, So yes, we, we sometimes for good reason are worried that people are being judgmental of us. But I think more people than are being judgmental, more people want to help. More people want to be there with us and for us. And we're doing ourselves a disservice and our friends and family a disservice when they don't, when we don't let them in. Um, It's obviously, it's bad for us because anything that is kept in the dark 
and in the quiet is just going to grow and fester. It's like a bacteria. You know, you put it in a dark, warm, wet environment and it's going to multiply like crazy. Um, yeah. That's how pain and suffering is. If you just shut it down, it just grows exponentially. So, um, so it's really a disservice to us. But then also, what about, you know, to a certain extent, giving an opportunity for the people who love us to actually love us, to let them be there for us. The same way, if you think about it on the flip side, we would all want to know if somebody that we loved was dealing with something so that we could be there for them. And Right. But that's only if the people... Right, right. Sorry I interrupted you, but I wanted to say, like, maybe sometimes people don't feel comfortable sharing with their loved ones because their loved ones don't want to hear it. (laughs) Because maybe their loved ones, it gives them too much pain. And they, they don't want to think about it because it gets them upset. So I feel like in those situations, for people who don't have the advantage of having like supportive and loving friends and family, you know, um, I feel like for those people, therapy and like support groups. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You get it wherever you can. And I think it's also important to sort of ease people in, especially with family, especially if you're telling your parents, right? That's a really hard thing for a parent to hear. And no parent wants to to think of their kid as being sick. Now, especially particularly with MS, let's say, sometimes, you know, you get the diagnosis and it's this big crazy thing and you think it's going to be this, you know, cataclysmic event. And hopefully it's more of like the slowly progressing one where it's things are going to be okay for a number of years. So it's not necessarily that it needs to be in their face all the time. And if avoidance is what's best for them, then I think what you suggested about finding your support elsewhere is good, but also showing them that, look, I I am, it's normal. And I, I am able to deal with this and I am still living my life and I am still doing, I am going for treatment and I am dealing with whatever. And like, Whenever you're ready to come and join me in being able to do this, then right. here. And if you can't, then okay, that's fine. And I, I will find my my support for this particular thing elsewhere. It's it's unfortunate, but again, like not everybody is able to deal with things in the same oh. way. And I think especially the older generation, um, I mean, for the older generation, these things are, A, again, like with the judgmental stuff, it's, I guess, more of a busha, but also it's just so hard to yeah. process. I know my, my in-laws for sure were completely and totally freaked out in the beginning. Um, sure. And my father-in-law, they weren't so, oh, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to know about it. But my father-in-law was, every time Avi was around, he was like, oh, don't bend, don't breathe, don't, right. don't, don't this, don't, should you be eating that? Should you not be eating that? What, is that? what yeah, did, yeah, did, yeah. did the doctor say? And like, made Avi completely and totally insane and he just didn't know how to deal with it until we were like okay Abba here's the deal right 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 we're we're just living our life and you have to just live yours and you have to just live ours with us and like if you really can't handle it then we won't talk to you about the doctor's appointments and if it makes you too nervous then we then we won't and that's okay right because you're entitled to your own reaction whatever it is right yeah. Um, but then we just kept showing him that we are okay and everything's all right. And we're going and we're dealing and we're doing everything and we're being as, res- you know, responsible and all this kind of stuff. And 
and it took time and now he's okay. And I think that that's another really important thing. Everything takes time. The initial shock of this kind of thing for the person and for everyone surrounding them is big and everybody processes these things differently. So it could be that you'll think initially, oh, my friend isn't there for me because they just like, they have no clue what to do and they don't know what to say. And they also, you should know, a lot of people feel bad about, um, everything being okay with their life when everything is not okay with your life. Right. right. And it makes it very, very complicated. But the more, if it's possible, if it's not too hard for you to keep just showing them that, okay, like I get it. You're freaked out. No problem. I'm still here. I'm still normal. I'm still coping. I'm still dealing. And if you don't want to talk about this particular topic, I'll, I'll find my support elsewhere. But if, and when you're ready, that would be great because you're an important person in my life. Wow. That's right. Um, I mean, obviously not to compare the two, but um, I remember when my daughter was first diagnosed with alopecia, obviously it's not a chronic illness. It's just like an aesthetic one. But I remember, yeah, it was obviously like a very big deal. And like, I noticed people around me, like they didn't know how to handle it. And then I remember after like, I processed like, all the difficult feelings. And obviously, as you said, it took a lot of time for me, but when I was finally ready to talk about it, I, I like brought it up with like my friends in a very nonchalant, normal way. And originally, well, like when I first started talking about it, they were like kind of silent, like they didn't know what to say. And then like they saw I was just being very normal about it. And then they started talking very normal about it. And now it's like, now we talk about it as if it's, like it's nothing. It's like who she is. Big deal. Right. You know? So yeah, I love I love what you said about that. That's really very empowering. Um so can you tell us like what or who gives you strength? Um, okay. So it's not <laughs> thank you. Um I try. Trust me, I have my weak moments. I just don't usually post them on Instagram. No, um, <laughs> I mean sometimes I do, but not always. Um so I know it sounds very cliche, but for me, I really find a lot of strength in Hashem and his Torah and anything to do with that. Um Tfila, because the more connected I am, the more grateful I can be, the more I can see the challenges in my life as being meaningful and having purpose, which doesn't make them easy, but it makes them, it makes them purposeful and therefore manageable. And I think that that's a really important, that's a really important thing for me. It helps give me the perspective and foundation to be able to deal with it. Wow. Um, Wow. So, so that's very important to me. Um, hmm, What else? You know, it just reminded me because you just said it's manageable. Uh, I just saw the Mr. Rogers movie like two weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. How yeah, was it's a it? Really, it's, a, it's a very beautiful film. I love the message of the film. And at the end of the movie, a Tom Hanks who played Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. said, um, anything mentionable is manageable. Yes. Anything yes. mentionable is manageable. And I think this just ties up like everything you just said about how like talking about things and making it normal, you make it manageable. It doesn't become this big, scary thing. And then like when you said that Hashem and the Torah give you strength, tefillah specifically for you, I feel like when we 
like the words come out of our mouth and we use those words to connect to God. We bring those words that we want to say, but like we don't know how to say it and it just comes out to God. We're able to manage it because it like, it came out of our mouths. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I love that. Totally. Do you, do you have a role model? Um, so I was thinking about this, but I, I don't know if I can pinpoint one particular person. There are so many people who inspire me in so many different ways. It would really have to be, you know, a composite of, you know, my mother is very inspirational to me. She has overcome so much in her life and um, was always a really wonderful mother to me and, and found a way to balance her work and life, which I'm still working on. Um, so she yeah. is a huge inspiration to me. I have friends who blow me away every single day with their strength and their resilience and their faith. Um, teachers who show me what it really means to believe in somebody and to be able to give over things to them in a meaningful way that will help transform their lives. So I, I don't know if I could really crystallize it into only yeah, one particular sure. human being. I, I try to find role models everywhere. And I wow. think that that's a, a really important thing for all of Beautiful. us to be able to do. And Beautiful. Yeah. To be able to see it in so many different places and people. Wonderful. So Rina, I wanted to thank you again for this really enlightening beautiful conversation. I learned so much from you just from having this chat. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, Karen. It was really an honor to be here. Thank you for offering hope and guidance and to tell people that really anything mentionable is manageable. For um, sure. Can you just tell the audience where they can find you? Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Rena Deutsch, R-I-N-A-D-E-U-T-S-C-H. Yes. I'm also on Facebook under the same name. I write monthly for Nushin Magazine oh, and yeah. um, I'm available if anybody's interested. I come to, you know, to different cities and give over anything from like motivational positivity talks to Torah to anything like that um, and you could reach me about that at Rina Deutsch R-I-N-A-D-E-U-T-S-C-H at gmail.com beautiful and also don't forget guys she also has a makeup page oh, <laughs> on Instagram true. makeup by Aza Yofi yep <laughs> okay I'll tag you I'll Amazing. Ta I'll, yeah I'll tag it in the post awesome Thanks. thank you so much Rina it was such a pleasure oh. to talk to you it was a pleasure to speak to you too, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at SoulTrainKK. Have a great day.